0: Welcome to the Latin Wealth Podcast, a podcast dedicated to educating the Latino community about entrepreneurship, investing, and business. Yo, what's going on Latin Wealth family? Welcome to another episode to Wealth Wednesday. Glad to have you guys tuning in. We're going to hop into another phenomenal episode today. And yeah, before you listen to, continue to listen to this episode go ahead and share this episode with one other person that needs to hear this conversation. You guys have been doing great with that. If you have been listening, listening to us for a couple of weeks, go ahead and help us out, share this information. You know, we get on this podcast and we talk about trending news topics that are going on in the world and how they relate to the Latino community. Um, in addition to that, again, this is wealth Wednesday. If you're listening to this, it's, it's probably a Wednesday. On Friday, we're releasing another podcast interview uh, with a young lady that's teaching the community on how to pay off your student loan debt and really how to get out of debt. If I'm not mistaken, her and her husband were like close to $100,000 in debt, if not more. And she spoke about how she they both paid it off within five years, which is an um, incredible story. So be on the lookout for that this Friday. And then also... Of course, next Wednesday, we're consistent. The Friday after that, we're going to have another podcast interview that we're putting out as well. So we're picking things back up with interviews. So be on the lookout every Wednesday and Friday. We're going to be dropping uh, Latin Wells podcast episodes, information, stories um, to help you guys get to where you need to go in life. And with that being said, before we get into the topics today, my brother, Jeremiah, how are you feeling today, bro?
1: Feeling great, man. Feeling good, Rona. I mean, we're here, beginning of the week. Well, as you're seeing it,
0: Wednesday,
1: halfway hump day of the week, but uh, we're already starting our week off with good information. Hopefully, this information carries you through the rest of the week.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so we're going to jump right into it today with an article that came out about two weekends ago, or two weeks ago, I should say. And basically, the title of the article is By the year 2060, over one in four Americans will be Latino in a study by the Census Bureau. uh, Currently, the Latino population makes up about roughly about 19% of the U.S. population. And they're projecting by um, the year 2060, it's going to jump up to uh, 26%, right? So, again, one in four Americans they're predicting are going to be Latino. Now, this is very interesting because, uh, first off, I feel like they've been talking about, you know, in 2040 and 2050, most of the population is going to be mixed. Now, this article came out and said that they're actually going to be Latino. Uh, One in four people are going to be Latino by 2060, uh, which is very interesting. I'm curious, Jeremiah, how do you feel about this? What, what was your initial thoughts when you've seen this headline and then looking into the article a little bit more? What, what are your thoughts about this?
1: Um, number one, I thought about how accurate are these numbers? Because yeah. in most Latinos, especially depending on different communities and things like that, people don't come over, documented. I'm not, there's no shame or anything in there. I'm just saying there's a lot of undocumented Latinos here in the United States. Um, and especially in certain pockets. And so I wondered how accurate the numbers were. And then I'm wondering to what factor they were scaling this or what they were looking, which way they were looking to scale this, right? Because in a lot of cases, there are stories or different things that come out and there's a narrative that they want to place or place or say these things in a certain type of way. And so that that was honestly my thinking, because I'm going to be honest, um, I believe that Latinos make up probably about 30 to 40%, 35 to 40% already of the population just to be honest that's just my thought process um I think most people would probably agree like east to west coast uh, that that's what I feel but um that was my thoughts when I read it I was like hmm I don't know how accurate this is but I know it fits to some type of narrative we'll just have to see what the narrative is
0: yeah it it is interesting because I'm like how do y'all be coming up with these numbers and we're not like this could be completely correct but how are you guys projecting this? And that, it, that is a good point. Like, why was this even, why was this article even created? Like, what, what are y'all talking about now? And that's also a good point that you brought up like, yo, most of the United States may already be Latino. I think Texas, the majority of the, the state is Latino. Um, I was watching a video today and they were saying like the the top 10 states that are um, the least diverse, and it's like middle of America or very small states. You're not going to find in New York, Florida, obviously Texas, the bigger states, the bigger population states is where you're going to find um, the most diversity. And not only that, but Latinos as well.
1: No, for sure. I mean, you think about the centers of commerce, any of the cities that are like the center of commerce, yeah. um, Chicago, New York, L.A., San Francisco, right, Miami, um, even Phoenix. I mean, you go to these different pockets and these major cities, right? DC, all of these cities, they're all diverse cities, right? And they all have had a multitude of different people and different cultures that have influenced it and Latinos being, you know, major. We talk about it all the time. In New York, there's actually more um, Boricua Puerto Ricans in New York than there actually is in the island. Which is crazy. And so its it's just, you know, I mean, there's like 2 million Puerto Ricans in New York City. So it's kind of like you know it, it it those numbers these numbers just come from different places and so i know in chris we talk about this all the time with due diligence right people get yeah. tired of hearing that but it's like you know people skill things in a certain way like i said for some narrative and so we have to see what the follow-up is going to be because you're saying that to say what what are you coming behind that mm-hmm. to say I, I mean what do you think chris you think I, I don't know what's what's your opinion on that
0: i mean let's let me ask you this like in a hypothetical world, yeah. let's just say that if these numbers are accurate. Roughly okay. 19, 19, currently 19% of the United States is Latino, okay. let's just say. Uh, okay. And let's just say, like, yo, by 2060, there's going to be up to 26%, right? Um, what type of impact do you think that's going to have if most of the United States is Latino? Like, is that, you know what I'm saying? Like, is, is it,
1: if well, they- I mean, in the article, what they was so basically they were saying it would be up to, you know, one and four or a quarter. Yeah. Right. But then um non Hispanic whites, right, were going to be um 44%, down from 58%. So a loss of 14%, right? And a 14% sway kind of in the other way. I'm kind of looking at the numbers and I'm like, what is this? so are we so more social constructs or more social programs are going to be focused toward Latinos? Mm-hmm. Um, is that is that what they're saying or like what's the what's the overall focus and even in those numbers when they said that I was like how do you how do you know if someone's Latino or not because it's not a color to be Latino
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? there's there's a there's a multitude of different so it's kind of like ah it's a little ambiguous it's a very vague yeah like right. it's kind of vague to me and so I'm just I'm kind of waiting on that follow-up like because a quarter of our population is gonna be Latino. Um, Nike is looking, we already talked about that mm-hmm. on one of the episodes, how these companies, they've actually begun to um focus on that demographic mm-hmm. and bring in chair heads and chairmen or company department heads that are focusing on the Latino market. So I think that's what you'll start to see more of um as they the official numbers is a quarter, but it'll probably be fifty to fifty-two percent by then actual numbers because there's a lot of undocumented.
0: Yeah. And I love that you gave your perspective on that because that makes me think about, again, talking about doing your due diligence and making sure like you're looking at these articles and this information from like two different sides. And you're asking a lot more questions than you're like in taking the information. Right. Because again, I didn't even look up like who, who actually wrote the article. Who is this person? So these are things you want to fact check. And, um, you know, this, look, you're, you're listening live of us dissecting an article and, and yeah. giving our opinions and whatnot. So nonetheless, it was, it was interesting that it came up. I there know you. that there is a, a bunch of different creators that spoke about it. Um, I had some people commenting underneath the, the, the post and whatnot, but, uh, again, always do your, do, do, do your due diligence and, you know, ask questions, ask a bunch of questions, right. And Yeah.
1: I think I think people should also be asking, um, you know, from the Latino perspective is what could I do to be a change maker? If we're going to have those type of numbers and we start to get to where we're losing less of the minority and getting closer to the majority, what power do we have? What power struggles should we be looking to fight between now and 2060 Um, politically, financially? you know, those type of things. Socially, what should we be looking to leverage that power with? And how should we be unified when it comes to fighting against those things? That that, that That's a thought process for me.
0: Speaking about politics, just real quick, I don't want to go, I don't want to veer too left, but um, do you think in our lifetime we'll see a Latino president? Yes. Interesting.
1: Yeah, and I would, and if you would have asked me, because if you would ask if I would have seen a black president, that would have been less likely.
0: Mm-hmm. Why? So, saw so that, huh? Can you explain? Can you explain why?
1: Just given the history of the, just given the history of the country, mm-hmm. um, that would have been less likely. I think if you would have been a betting man or put money against that, most people would agree that would have been a lot less likely than seeing a Latino president. Because you could be, like we said, Latino is everything, right? You could be Argentinian and not look latino right like and there's and you could identify with a lot of different um you know different sectors of people and things like that and so i definitely think that you're going to see a a latino president
0: Hmm. interesting
1: very soon as a matter of fact i think very soon within the next 15 20 years probably
0: okay love it um transitioning a little bit last week in some more news charlie munger passes away at the age of 99 years old. Now, if you don't know who Charlie Munger is, it's all good. He's a longtime business partner and friend of fellow billionaire Warren Buffett. So Warren Buffett is is definitely a name that a lot more people know about. Uh, Charlie Munger is is like damn near his best friend. Like These guys was always together, right? Um, He actually worked with him for nearly 45 years, which is crazy. Um, I want now that I'm reading that I'm wondering when did they have first like officially meet, right? So it said they were working together for 45 years, and wondering when they first met. Um, and recently Forbes has estimated that he has a network of 2.3 billion dollars, which is absolutely crazy. Um, and the reason why we want to bring this up is because we want to break down maybe some lessons that we've learned from him and his impact <clears throat> on business and the investing industry as a whole. Um, Jeremiah what are your thoughts bro
1: First and foremost uh, Condolences obviously to the family You live a very very full life but it's never easy Either way so I uh, want to say That first and foremost Um, I think people Need to look at Charlie Munger and understand The actual Gravity or The <laughs> The amount of value that a good number Two brings you mm-hmm. uh, Warren Buffett would never be Warren Buffett without Charlie Munger there were decisions that Warren Buffett would think to make and Charlie Munger would talk him out of it. He was the sensible of the two of them. Now, you obviously look at their portfolios and look at the amount of money. Well, I mean, Warren was the he, he, he's the owner. Right. And mm-hmm. so he took the brunt of the risk. And so his portfolio reflects it. Mm-hmm. But you see Munger at two point three billion. That's more money than most of us will ever see in our lifetime. And so he he got that way by being a number two and he was okay with that he played his role and he played he was an advisor to warren buffett and so i think people if more than anything we're going to get into some of the the investment thought processes that munger brought to the table but just being a good number two sometimes not in so many cases in this life everyone wants to be number one and some people weren't made to be number one Mm -hmm. and that's okay and i think people kind of need to step back and see that position and that role that he played and he he, you know, he was proudly to be the number two guy and Warren took care of him. Right. Obviously. And and so I, I want to say that first, like that's the that's a big lesson that I think people skipped over. in this is like, dang, well, I don't have to be number one. And he did great not being number one billions of dollars. And so that's that's the first thing I saw. Um, the next thing I saw where he was basically saying that, you know, Charlie Munger could have been much richer Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and warren buffett could have been a lot richer warren buffett would probably be the number richest person ever right now right based upon his track record but they made um decisions or invested reinvesting just basically using the profit that they got off of things they didn't take riskier decisions because um charlie munger said that we me and warren could you know, absorb those hits if we lost a bunch of money in, in stock or whatever, but the lower shareholders and the people that make up Berkshire Hathaway, um, they couldn't. And so in order to be fair and make sure that everyone was eating, he took a lesser role and they did a little things a little bit more conservatively. And I think that that's a big thing as well, because he said, um, avoid crazy. Right. Mm -hmm. So instead of the crazy and the risk, like, oh, the things that are gonna draw you a whole bunch of big attention, they made the solid decisions. Um, and and did those things very methodically. And so I I think those are a couple of things that he brought to the table. Biggest for me, obviously, being how to be a good number two. Yeah. It's huge.
0: No, I I love those. And to, to speak on the number two situation, like that is huge, right? When you look at to bring it to something that's relatable, I think of Mike and Scotty jeremiah may think otherwise but i think without mike he ain't getting them six rings or without scotty ain't mike ain't getting them six rings that's what i think. No, I agree okay okay agree. okay
1: no that's no no, no i totally
0: agree okay mm-hmm. so that's what i'm saying like but scotty even though like i i would love to believe that he knew mike was the guy and he was going to take the last shot and he knew his role and scotty was phenomenal at his role and he owned that same thing with um Charlie Munger. I mean, this guy is obviously clearly a very smart individual. He could have probably went out and created his own company, made millions and billions of dollars and whatnot, but he owned his role. He owned where he was at. And um, you know, it's one of the things that stuck out to me is a lot of his teachings and a lot of teachings for these successful people. They're all like very simple, very simple things that we may hear over and over again, but they, um, I, I guess they just simply apply it to their life, right? And one of the things that I took away from Charlie Munger is he has a quote that says, you know, my game in life was always to avoid um, all standard way of failing, right? You teach me the mm-hmm. wrong way to play poker and I will avoid it. You teach me the wrong way to do something and I will avoid it. And of course I've avoided a lot and uh, because he's so cautious and that goes back to Jeremiah, what he was saying, that in business, he could have made a lot more money potentially, but he was a lot more conscious because there's other people that he knew were underneath him that he needed to take care of. And he just simply avoided doing the wrong things. And how many times do we hear like, yo, um, you know what, what right and wrong is, but we choose wrong, right? We go the wrong way. We make the wrong decisions. And as simple as that is, he just simply made the right decisions like he went with the right thing. Um, something else that's super simple that stood out to me is uh, the big money is not in buying and selling, but in the waiting, right? So yep. long-term success, uh, wh- whatever that looks like for you, sometimes holding out on on getting that quick bag, you know, can equal to a better deal for you. When I think of like music deals or a lot of different podcast deals that are going on right now, a lot of these people are waiting to build their catalog for that bigger bag opposed to selling out when they're uh, earlier on in their career and getting a smaller bag. Uh, But yes, I mean, even Jeremiah could speak to the investing side of it, how, you know, the long-term game typically plays out in more favor for you than trying to make a quick buck doing stock or doing puts and options and whatnot.
1: You see people lose money all the time. I'm telling you, I tell people all the time, like trading is a uh, it's a young man's game because you get to a certain age and you start making those decisions and they're very, very costly. Right. Um, I've always been a proponent. We talked about it probably on episode one or two, but I've always been a bigger proponent of indexing. Uh, Warren Buffett has probably been one of the most key influential influences in me and my investments and the way that I do business. And. Not only from just taking care of Berkshire Hathaway and making decisions that take care of the total organization and the shareholders, um, but also just in the focus of the way you structure your business and the long term, delaying gratification and looking at me at 70 years old. What do I, what do I want to be at 70 instead of me me at 40? Right. Like, where do I want to be at 70? And so you make the decisions now that lead to and create that process of success that will get you to where you want to be at 70. And it's crazy because time compounds everything. And so that's what you also see with Munger and Warren is that they let time just compound it. The way they got to where they were, you actually look like 25 years ago, they were a fraction of where they were now. They were like still a lot of money, hundreds of millions of dollars. But it's crazy if you look at the numbers just over that time, how compounded in 30 years, the money just grew like crazy. And so wait it out make the right decisions do your due diligence and then when you make the decision stand by it and then you know let it let it ride
0: yeah what's also interesting to me is the lifestyle of some of these individuals right one of the things that also stood out to me is both of these individuals live a very modest lifestyle like i don't even know what type they are very minimal i know um man where where is um Warren Buffett's house at like he had the same Omaha, house, Nebraska. Omaha, yes, Omaha. <laughs> like if you look at this house, you'd be like, "Ain't no way a millionaire lives in there." <laughs> I Let's mean, a
1: billionaire. Look, look, listen, he did that for a little bit. Warren got to know a, a huge old other house, but 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 he did do it for a time.
0: Okay, okay, which that's is fair. Still commendable. Yeah, yeah,
1: he did it for a very long time. Same
0: car, same. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. Very minimalistic.
0: So, this is a whole nother podcast, but I'm curious, man, the mindset. And I love what Charlie Munger said. He said that financial freedom is all about independence. You know, for him, it wasn't the desire to be rich, flashy, yachts, fast cars. Right. More than anything, it was all about the independence that came from being wealthy, right? The the ability to do whatever the heck you wanted, right? But, you i mean a lot of people are asking like yo with that much money how can you not splurge is it a mindset is is, is that mindset of not splurging of the is that mindset of not splurging the reason why he's that and who that, he is yes because, that's know, from a piece our of culture, it but it's
1: also
0: i'm saying from oh. our culture like we want to we want to ball out yeah
1: i i i think that that's one thing to think about is that it's in their makeup because It's generational as well. Um, They're from the silent generation, which went through um, having to go through the Great Depression. We've never experienced anything like that where food had to be rationed out and there was no food. Banks completely lost everyone's money. Like, I don't think people understand the amount of loss that happened during that time period. They saw that and lived through that. And so their minds, their mindsets are way different than ours, right? The risk factor, the risk tolerance, everything's different because they went through that. And so for them, yeah, they're gonna be thinking like, I'm not It's I'm not splurging and spending a whole bunch of money because I may not make this back. A great depression can happen and then all my money could be gone and I would have wasted it, right? And so that's in the back of their minds the whole time. We don't have that point of reference. I think even 2008 wasn't anywhere close to that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a big piece of it. And then our, like you said, our culture, especially us particularly, mm-hmm. we wanna spend and be flashy. I've always fought that. Um, and I I actually literally read Warren's book and I started to live my life like that. Like my life got so much simpler and happier the more minimalistic you are. Hmm. If you don't need it, like how many cars are you going to drive? You're only going to drive one, right? When you're in that car, you're driving one. How many shoes are you going to wear at one time? You can only wear one pair of shoes. You don't only wear one suit. Like there's no need to spend millions of dollars on all this stuff. People will argue, they will they say differently, have whatever cool I just feel that the way they live they figured something out and it worked and so I think that there were some context clues that we should all be taking and figure it out like you don't need all the cars you don't need all the jewelry you don't you don't need all that it's just it's not needed Mm -hmm. but I want it okay that's well that's cool but I'm thinking we talked about this I'm thinking seven generations ahead right Mm -hmm. I want to make sure there's enough money in the, the the generational wealth extends to seven generations Mm-hmm. minimally maybe 10 if I can get that right and so that's what I'm thinking and when I'm dead and gone the legacy still continues on not me passing on a diamond chain or some Jordans or however whatever
0: but everybody mm-hmm. thinks different so yeah some Jordans your your daughter can't even wear them damn sizes whatever she can't wear it with. I <laughs> doubt she'll ever I doubt she'll
1: ever be able to wear a 13 14 You're I right, doubt right, I don't right. I know that but I doubt
0: yeah no 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 absolutely um no I, I yeah it's just looking at this individual's life is, is pretty incredible like i said the biggest thing for me is like the principles are just so simple to live by and it's it really the application and this knowledge that you know means the most so uh yeah rest in peace charlie munger you know passed away again at the age of 99 he was he did an interview that was supposed to come out yeah. on his birthday january where he was going to turn 100 years old which is incredible mm. obviously they're, they're still gonna put it out but it would have been his birthday uh when they do put it out uh transitioning into one more thing before we head out of here Bitcoin Bitcoin yes, surges past forty two thousand dollars um as a recent crypto rally now the biggest cryptocurrency Rose as much as six point one percent to reach just over forty two thousand out of uh as of 10 a.m. today which is recording this on a monday um and yeah i mean this is it, it's pretty crazy how bitcoin seems like it's steadily climbing and climbing higher and higher and whatnot uh very interesting that it you know it's continued to go up and whatnot and you know one of the reasons why that well there's a couple reasons why but one of the reason why potentially is because the bitcoin halving is due next year which, when mm-hmm. this halving starts or when it happens, half the amount of bitcoins will be cut in half. And um, yeah, with also very, very interesting, which I, man, when I seen this, I'm like, man, this is crazy. The coin hit records after each of the last three halvings. So, the last three times that bitcoins were cut in half, they reach all time highs. So, do what you want with that information. Um again, I think the havings they they happen every four years, right?
1: Yeah, four to four and a half, yep,
0: yeah. for every four and a four and a half years they get cut, the supply gets cut in half. So the next time it's gonna happen is in next year. So gonna be interesting to see, you know what happens.
1: They're gonna align those um, you know the ETS, we talked about this previously, obviously yeah. in a couple of episodes, but they're gonna align those ETF approval dates for um, a lot of the coins and B and BTC itself, I think they're gonna align those with that halving. It just makes, right, it makes sense, mm-hmm. right? So then everybody makes money. I mean, I don't know that, but I'm pretty sure that's what, no, what I, agree. I, I called it. I don't know what episode it was, but I think that that's what's gonna happen. It just makes sense.
0: I agree, I agree. Mm-hmm. 100%. Now the question I have for you is, and we can start wrapping this up. Can you see a scenario where, because I mean, Yes, crypto is it's on its way up, but the economy is like are we in a uh, a silent recession? Are we in a recession? Yeah. We 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 talk about I know you say yes all the time. You look on the news, they act like they don't know what's going on. <laughs> right? Um inflation is crazy. Can yeah. we see a situation where the economy is 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 on a downturn and doing bad mm-hmm. and bitcoins at an all-time high
1: yeah i think that's what you're gonna see that's what mm-hmm. you will see and it only makes sense that everyone that that you try to defy which now is getting more into being you know centralized again but anyway mm-hmm. um if you're set like your set governed bodies of, of finances are going down stock market real estate right? Banking, blah, 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 right? And so the country's in a recession. What do you do? You turn to alternative forms of financing, which is, of course, cryptocurrency. So it only makes sense that also we're like the banks in these uh, Vanguard and Black, BlackRock and all them, they get that ETF going. So that way as more people pour into BTC, and that's what you'll see, you'll see the recession, stocks going down, blah, blah, blah. So people are taking money out of the stock, selling their stock, and then putting money over into BTC. That'll drive up the costs, drive up the shares, everybody's making money, ETF goes big. And so I think that's what you're gonna see. You'll see a downside of basically a lot of other economic factors and you'll see crypto going up. It'll stay that way for a little bit and then eventually the retail people will move out of it and then you'll see crypto start to level out again. Mm-hmm. But by that time, hopefully, hopefully fingers crossed the, the economy will Somewhat
0: rebound. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, man, it's gonna be very interesting what's gonna happen 2024. Um, you know,
1: and you got an election and you got a presidential election. This is all happening in one year. I I I don't think people realize like the amount of crazy. I was gonna
0: throw an XRP in there as well.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's yeah, it's it's about to get crazy, it's gonna be crazy for sure.
0: Interesting. So once again, do your due diligence, look into all this information. We want to present it to you guys on a platter, give you guys our thoughts and opinions um, and some facts as well. And, you know, do what you please with this information. We highly suggest that you look more into each one of these topics from Bitcoin to lessons from Charlie Munger, what you can mm-hmm. learn from him. Um, so, yeah, we thank you once again for listening to this podcast episode. Be sure to check out the episode that's coming out this Friday where we're talking about paying down debt. And as always, the Latin Wealth family, we'll catch you guys next week. Peace.